Stay with me for just a little bit. Thank you, worship team. You guys are awesome in this place. Matthew chapter 4. I want to thank our regional pastor, Pastor Eddie, for allowing me to share this afternoon with you. And just being a part of this region, this capital city region. Some of you drove from a very, very long ways off, so I don't plan on wasting your time. I don't want to give you just some opinions that sound good, but I want to give you a study, as the Bible talks about in Timothy, that I want to make sure that it's approved. And so I want to thank every single one of you for coming on out here to the church, all the pastors and the ministers for coming on out. I believe we're going to have a blessed time. Even tonight, I want to invite you out back again tonight. I know some of you have to drive back, but if you're able to stay, I want to challenge you. Come on back tonight. We're going to be having uh, the drama, Hypnotized, and then also uh, Noel G, uh, along with Second Chance and Brother Ig. We're going to pack this whole place out. It's almost like we got two different events in one night. And uh, because we got Second Chance and Brother Ig and Noel G. And then we got Hypnotized. I mean, those two by, by themselves can stand alone. And so, but we decided we're going to bring them all together. And we're going to pack this place out with nothing but sinners. I want to tell you this. Now, for those of you that are here this morning and you say, man, I want to come back tonight. Feel free. Come on back. But I also want to challenge you with this. If you come and you have a seat. And you see that there's people standing in the back. If there is, I'm not saying there will be, but if there is, and you're already saved, you already love Jesus Christ, you're saved and going to heaven, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to get up out of your seat, go to the back, and allow somebody to come and sit in that chair. Is that all right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Some would say, follow me. Follow then it says, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat and their father, with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now turn to Matthew chapter 9, just a few pages over. One verse, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew in the book of Mark. It says Levi, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Someone say, follow me. He told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Have your way one more time, Jesus' name. Amen. Before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, follow me. Now this morning I want to talk to you about true discipleship. True discipleship. This is a regional discipleship. I can't find it more fitting than to talk about discipleship. Discipleship in every aspect of your life, not just of your ministry. In every aspect of who you are and not what you do. Follow me. We're going to look at this story and we're going to dive into it. And as we jump into it, we're going to swim for a little bit and then you're going to get impacted. I praise the Lord. I pray that you're going to feel that here this morning. As we dive into this, let's look at this story. I really love to study the Word of God. I love to study it. Matter of fact, I love stories so much, I love to go watch them on movie screens because those are great moving stories. But I want to tell you something. There's no better story than any story that it was ever written in the Bible. Matter of fact, even to this day, the world calls it the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus Christ. There's no better story than the story of Jesus Christ. So as you begin to read this man's story, what we call the Savior, but as you begin to read his story, his story is just unbelievable. Not just unbelievable, but the men that he got around him, they were unbelievable. Now here we see this man Jesus. He comes and he wants to gather these men. And there was a group of men doing their job along the riverbanks. And then there was another man doing his job also along the riverbanks, collecting finances. And then all of a sudden, these men hear two words, follow 
me. Two words. Now think about this. Here's a guy comes up, see these men fishing, and he says, follow me. And then all of a sudden, these men just say, all right, I'll go. Now think about that. Now some of you may say, well, he was, he was God. He was Messiah. At that time, they didn't know that. They didn't know he was God. They didn't know that he was the Savior. They didn't know that he was the Messiah. So all of a sudden, you have these men here that are doing their job. They're doing what their, uh, their profession has called them to do. And all of a sudden, the man comes and says, follow me. Now, I want to tell you something. Here are these men. They have jobs. They have land. They have money. They have families. They have houses. They have things. And all of a sudden, they leave it all. They leave it all for two words, follow me. Now, it's one thing for a man to leave his wife, but it's another thing for a man to leave his boat. Think about that. Men laugh right away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I want you to really think about this. All of a sudden, just out of nowhere, I'm going to leave everything and follow this man. They're leaving everything behind. Not some things, everything. And here is this man, he says, follow me, and I'm going to do something with your life that is going to be supernatural. Now, as you study the culture of this, and this is what we're going to get into, and we're going to talk about the discipleship. Are you guys ready here this morning? We're going to talk about this here this morning. And as we look at this, I began to really see, man, how in the world could this really happen? Because what really got me was the fact that these men did not know that he was God yet. So why would they follow him? If they didn't know that, see, me and you, we know that because we, we can read the Bible. We could jump from one year to another year in a matter of verses. We can jump from one year to a thousand years just by reading verses. But these men, they were occupied with something. They were doing something. Why would these men leave with two words? Why did they do that? Now, as you study the Hebrew culture, you begin to study about how uh, how about rabbis were made? Now, I began to study and look into this about how every Hebrew boy in the Hebrew culture wanted to be a rabbi. Now, much like uh, what we would have, you know, say football or baseball, right? You have Little League. My son's getting involved in Little League. And, you know, when they're small, you want to get them involved. And, and you think, oh, okay, man, th this kid, he, he's going he's gonna to make me a million dollars right here. Oh, yeah, oh, I, mean, I mean, pretty much, oh, one day, man, he's going to be the pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, man. Oh, look at that right there. Oh, look at, man, that's, that's a big boy right there. That's a linebacker. That's a linebacker. He's going to play for the Raiders. Yes, he is. Yes, he's going to play for the Raiders. And when he gets older, he's going to hopefully win a Super Bowl. I don't know if it will happen, but we'll see what happens. That's why you come to church, right? Dreams, hopefully they come true. Praise the Lord. It's cold, huh? But doesn't that happen? Don't we have those aspirations when we see little children? Oh, man, he's going to do great one day. Oh, man, oh, he's going to be a football player. He's gonna be, well, that was the same for the Hebrew culture when it was of the little boys. He's going to be a rabbi. He's going to be a rabbi. He's going to be a rabbi. That's what they're going to do. Now, this is how they determined if they were even capable of being a rabbi. At the age of six, look at this. At the age of six, everybody had to memorize Leviticus by the age of six. Now, how many of you are already disqualified? <laughs> now, the thing about it was this. By the age of six, they had to memorize Leviticus. But they didn't have a Bible or a Torah in every home at that time. There wasn't a toilet. I mean, you can go to hotels and you get the Gideon's Bible. At hotels, we, we have Bibles in our houses. But how they had to learn Leviticus was by the memorization of their father. They learned by their father. The father trained them. I want to just kind of really quickly kind of get off my notes right here. When it comes to training, listen to me. Training is hard work. Training is hard work. You know, it, it's funny. I was listening to, to Pastor Eddie. He was talking about how 
uh, he said, man, I don't, I don't even know how we did this. I don't know how we did this. Because he was talking about how, man, we had a church, a team going over, over here to Reno, uh, and then a church going, a team going to West Sac. And I, I was like, man, I don't even know how we did this. I don't know how this happened. How did we do it? We weren't even a, a really big church. You know how I think he did it? It was good training. He had good training. He just understood. This is just, it's second nature. He was trained the right way. See, when you get the proper training, the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they get older, they will not depart from it. Listen to me, parents. The Bible says train. It doesn't just say direct them. See, directing them is basically telling them. Training them is showing them. Are you hearing me? I know you say, well, my son, listen. Once they get to that age of accountability, they're all gods. They're all gods. But you got to train them. Training is hard work. See, now in this training that they would have, if you memorized Leviticus by age six, you graduated to what was called the Bet Safar. Someone say Bet Safar. Now, this was basically elementary school from the ages of six to 12 years old. Now, once you had to... You had to memorize the whole Torah by the age of 12. The whole Torah. Then at the age of 12, you got a whole exam on the Torah. At 12, this is how they were able to determine if you were able to even go on from there at the age of 12. What they would do is they would give you an exam. How many of you love exams? You love tests? Don't lie. No, you didn't. You hate tests. That's why you skip school. So by the age of 12, they had already, remember, they had already memorized Leviticus. So now they had to memorize the whole Torah. So by the age of 12, they have it all memorized. So, but the thing about the Hebrew culture is that they didn't want to, they didn't want to find out if you knew the answers. They wanted to find out if you had the right questions. Because remember, you had it all memorized. They could give you a question, you knew the answer. That wasn't their thing. They wanted to see if you could wow the teachers of the law. Remember when Jesus was 12 years old? The Bible says that he was in the temple. He was wowing the teachers. Not with his answers, but with his. There's a lot of people who have the right answers, but who has the right questions? There's so many people, oh, especially in today's day and age, you go on the internet, you can answer like that. But having the right questions to get you to the right place. See, this is what happened with these Hebrew scholars. They wanted, they wanted to know that these young men were ready for this school. Now, if you graduated from this school, you went on to the next level. But here it is. This is the key. If you did not graduate and get into this next level of schooling, they would tell you, I'm sorry, you're disqualified from ministry. Now go back and earn a living at your family trade. I'm sorry you are disqualified from ministry. Now go back and earn a living at your family trade. I'm sorry you've been disqualified. I'm sorry you've been disqualified. So then at that age, if they graduated, they went on to the next level. Now the next level of this was called the Bet Talmud. Or the Bet Talmud. I want to say this correctly. It's all in Hebrew here. The Bet Talmud. Now this Bet Talmud was basically uh, meaning the school of disciples, Right? Look it up in the Hebrew. I'm giving you some Hebrew words. You can look it up, write it down. It's totally up to you. Study it on your own. But this Bet Talmud was basically the school of disciples. Now, this schooling lasted 18 years. 18 years from the ages of 12 to 30 years old. You ever wonder why you don't hear about Jesus from 12 to 30? It's because he was getting schooled. He was in rabbi school. Now, this school was five stages long. Now, Jesus was in this school. You ever wonder why? When you read the scriptures, they were always calling them rabbi, rabbi. But rabbi, tell us, rabbi. You know why they called him rabbi? They didn't call him rabbi because he walked on water. They called him rabbi because he earned it. He earned it. There's so many people in today's churches today that they don't want to earn the title. They don't want to earn it. They just want, oh, just people tell me. Just tell, tell me I'm a leader. Just tell me I'm a leader. They called Jesus rabbi because he earned it. Not because it sounded good. Not because he wanted to look good. It's because he earned it. Now, all five of these stages had graduations. But all of these all stages also had disqualifications. 
Now, within these stages that they had, for the sake of time, I'm not going to break all those stages down, but study it on your own. They had different uh, qualifications that were in those stages. So after the first stage, if they continued on and, they, and the rabbi seen, wow, they're, they're going to make it, they would give them an exam. After this exam, if they passed it, they would graduate, graduate on and go to the next level. But if they didn't graduate, they would all of a sudden tell them, I'm sorry, you're disqualified. You must go back and earn a living at your family trade. So after the second level, they would go on to the third level. After the third level, they would go on to the, after the fourth level, they would go on to the. Now at the fifth stage, at the fifth stage, if they had not been disqualified, now all of a sudden, once you got there, everybody would become a rabbi. Everybody. You were automatically a rabbi. But the thing about it was this. There were two types of rabbis. There was a rabbi with authority and a rabbi without authority. Are you hearing me? There was a rabbi with authority and a rabbi without authority. Now, I need you to stay with me here. I know some of you are looking at me like, man, he's talking Hebrew. He's talking Greek to me. I literally am talking Greek to you. This authority really determined the type of man that they were. This authority actually was called, this fifth stage that they had was called the Shmika. Shmika, I want to say that right. Shmika. This was the fifth stage within the authority, which determined, was, was basically a, a rabbi ordination. Shmika. Shmika. They had the authority of the rabbi. Now this thing, this authority was very, very important within the Hebrew culture. Very important if you had your authority or if you had someone else's authority. A rabbi without authority had to teach the interpretation of another rabbi that he learned under. Listen to me. It's all coming together. I'm telling you. Listen real quick. If you did not have authority. Now remember, by the fifth stage, you were still a rabbi. You're a rabbi. You made it. You're awesome. You're, you're good. But if you did not have authority, you had to teach the authority of someone else. You had to teach the interpretation of someone else. You could not teach your own. The authority of a rabbi is called a yoke. That's what it's called. It's called a yoke. Remember in the scripture where he says, take upon my yoke. For my yoke is easy and my burden is a learn from me. Remember that? Do you remember in the scripture? He says, take upon my yoke. I remember growing up, I used to think a yoke, you know, was on the oxen, right? I thought that was the yoke. I thought that, no, no, no. When he says my yoke, he says take on my authority. Take on my, now the thing about the authority is that the authority was the interpretation of scripture that the rabbi had. In other words, it was his whole life. He, it was his interpretation on marriage. It was his interpretation on divorce. His interpretation on finances, on jobs, on, on the church, on everything. It was everything. The interpretation, the authority was very, very important. So here we see that this rabbi's yoke was his scripture interpretation. It was his everything. Now a rabbi without authority was still a rabbi. But he always had to teach the yoke of another rabbi. Now how did they determine this authority? In order to determine the authority of the rabbi, they had to go get baptized. Getting baptized. Now, in the Hebrew culture, in any sort of status, you would pretty much get baptized. If you were going from single to married, you get baptized. If you're going from clean to unclean or unclean to clean, you get baptized. You know, ba baptism. That, that's, that's why we get baptized to this day. We're basically showing the world, hey, I'm going from unclean to being clean. Before I couldn't be touched, now I can be touched. I get the, uh, you know, that's what the significance of the baptism is. And so here, that's how they determined authority. Now, the thing about the authority is that there had to be two verbal witnesses. Two witnesses to the verbal authority. Now, remember when Jesus goes and gets baptized? you guys remember that? He goes and he, he finds, you know, John the Baptist. I think that would be like the coolest guy to get baptized by. Anybody with the last name Baptist. I want to get baptized by that guy. So here we got Jesus. He walks over, and then John says, behold, 
Remember that? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of man whose sandals I am not even worth to tie. Behold. And he comes and he baptizes them. Witness number one. So there he is. Jesus gets baptized. Now, he comes up, but he still doesn't have the authority yet. Why? Because you need two. So all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. He comes up. And then his father says, behold, my son. Now there is two. Now he is a rabbi with authority. He shows up on the scene and he has authority. See, the thing about it, as you study the scriptures, you can read it for yourself. They were always questioning Jesus' authority. You remember that? By what authority do you say this? But I like Jesus, right? He's real cool, man. He goes, even Jesus, he goes, I ain't got to tell you what kind of authority I come with. You guys were there. You remember that when we were John the Baptist? You know what authority I'm talking about. Right? Read it for yourself. It'll trip you out. Jesus doesn't. Matter of fact, Jesus very rarely answers them with answers. He always gives them questions. That's the Hebrew culture. You want to be smart? Answer with a question. Anybody can give you an answer. Like, you think Batman had the Riddler. Jesus was the first Riddler. <laughs> they were always questioning his authority. He said, okay, you know, you saw where I got baptized. You saw him. You saw it. So everybody knew who he got baptized with. Now, he wasn't a rabbi with authority because of how he was screaming a lot. That's not an authority just because you're screaming a lot. Are you hearing me this morning? A person with authority is not because they scream a lot. Ooh, he's got authority. Because he knows how to yell. No, that's a policeman. Don't get the world's authority mixed up with God's authority. He was a rabbi with authority because God gave it to him. God gave him this authority. See, this authority that you and I have, this is not the authority of the world. Are you hearing me? This authority that has been given to us is not a worldly authority, but a spiritual God-given authority. Listen, when you start acting like a Christian, do you have the philosophies of the world or you, do you have the philosophies and the authority of God? I was listening to a preacher the other day, and man, he was really getting me. He said, and he said this at first, I was a little shocked, but then I began to look into it. Uh, this preacher, he said, man, I wish Christians would stop using the term Christians as an adjective. I said, okay, well, what does that mean? So I, you know, went in and looked at it. Basically, a description. In other words, they're always describing, you know, what a Christian should be like, what a Christian should look like. Stop describing it and start being it. Because we're all too often trying to use the authority of the world. Now listen to me. I'm all for using uh, certain passages that, oh man, look at Here's a, a, a movie, 300 and this and that. And that's fine and that's good. But don't let that be your authority. Are you hearing me? See, we can get really caught up in the world. Okay, guys, it's kind of like when you're out there on the front lines. And remember Saving Private Ryan. And listen, those analogies are okay. But analogies are not authority. If you're always having to use the world to describe God, my friend, you're out of line. Be careful. You think I'm talking to you too? I'm talking to me too. You got to be real careful because God gave you the authority, not the world. Are you hearing me? I'm going to bring all this together at the very end. Watch this. Now, the rabbi's first duties, if you were going to be a rabbi, a rabbi had to have disciples. Right? A rabbi had to have disciples. That's the first thing that a rabbi would do. Because a rabbi without disciples is not a rabbi. In other words, who are you teaching if you don't have disciples? Who are you giving this interpretation to if you don't have anybody to tell it to? Now, typically, a rabbi, where would they go? They would go to the school of disciples. That's where they were supposed to go. Because if you're going to be a rabbi, what you want to do is you want to go get the next generation. Get the younger ones. Get the ones that are 12 years old. Get the ones that are wowing the teachers of the law. Supposed to do. Now remember, these you know, children, they had already memorized uh, Leviticus. Now they got the Torah. I mean, these kids are ready to go. So the rabbi would go there, 
and they would go to this school of disciples. Now they would go there. When they would go there, the, the rabbi would have to ask himself, now who do I feel will do greater things than me? Who do I feel will do greater things? And they would walk through. They would walk through these young men and ask themselves, who do I feel would do greater things than me? Who do I feel? And then when they seen a young man wowing the teachers, or when they seen a young man that they see that they could deposit into, what they would do is they would look at him and they would go, follow me. The two words of ordination, follow me. And they would go around and say, follow me. And they would see these young men ready and fresh, ready to take on this interpretation. And they would see them and they would say, follow me. Every Hebrew boy longed to hear these words, follow me. That's where they wanted to be. They wanted to hear the words, follow me. Yes, that's what I want to be. Now the thing about it is that Jesus, where does he go? Jesus doesn't go to the Bethel mood, right? He doesn't go there. Where does he go? He goes to the shores. He goes to the men with the boats. He goes to the tax collectors. And he goes up to them and he says, hey, follow me. He gets the ones that were disqualified for ministry. Remember, because at one time they wanted to be a rabbi and at one time they were going to do it. But at some time in there, whether they were 6 years old or 16 years old, 20 years old, at one time in their life, they were disqualified from ministry. At one time in their life, somebody told them, you're never going to make it as a rabbi, go do something else. At one time in their life, they were looked dead on in the eye and said, you won't make it like this, you're disqualified, go somewhere else. So here's Jesus. Jesus comes and says, hey, you, Mr. Disqualified, follow me. Follow me. And I'm going to do something with you that is supernatural. He went to the insignificant, matter of fact, even unclean. When you read about fishermen, study fishermen on your own. They were considered unclean. Why? Because they were always touching dead fish. And if you were touching dead things, you were considered unclean. So here's Jesus. He goes and he gets fishermen. He gets four of them right off the bat. Those were his first four disciples. Bam. Jesus is four for four. That's a great batting average right there. That's an awesome one. Now the thing about it, as you study, is that all of a sudden, who was the fifth disciple? Matthew, right? Levi, the one that we just read. Now the Bible says that he went and got these fishermen. Now after he got the fishermen, he went and got a tax collector. Now where was the tax collector? He was along the shores, right? That's where he was. The tax collector was along the shores. Who the tax collectors along the shores tax? Fishermen. So here's Jesus. He goes and he gets fishermen and then he gets the guy who was taking away their livelihood. And he puts them together and says, okay, now let's see if you're ready for this. We're going to see what you're really made of. I'm going to put you guys, matter of fact, I'm not just going to put you guys walking together. I'm going to put you in the same boat a couple of times, so be ready. Jesus wanted to see, do these men have it? Are these men ready for this? I ain't got time to play with all these little games. I ain't got time to play with all this little stuff. Get over here, Peter. Meet Matthew. Look at him face to face. Can you imagine that? Being a fisherman and you come face to face with the man who's taking money off your table. Coming face to face with a liar who can move wages up and down, up and down at a moment's notice. Just because he wants to. And then here's Jesus, Peter, follow me, Levi, follow me, let's go. And he gets these men together, and he tells them, follow me. Seemingly disqualified men, these disqualified men that were disqualified from ministry, all of a sudden Jesus says, come and do eternal business with me. See, the yoke of our rabbi is about restoration. The yoke of our rabbi is about our, 
uh, restoration. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, let him who is spiritual restore gently those who have fallen. Now this is where I'm right here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get ready and we're going to just rock it right here. Listen to me, church. If you didn't hear a word I said, listen to this. The yoke of our rabbi is not the yoke of the world. Hear me out. You want to grow your church? You want to grow your ministry? Grow yourself. This is where you're going to grow. Listen to me right here. Let him who is spiritual restore gently those who have fallen. Isn't it so weird that we as Christians, we are probably some of the most critical people on this planet? We are some of the most critical people on this planet. I was talking with somebody the other day about that because we were watching some videos. After a little while, I stopped watching videos because I go, man, after watching these videos, I don't even feel like being a Christian. Watch some of those videos on YouTube. It was like, at first, you're like, wow, it's crazy. Watching a couple more, I'm like, man, depressing because you got this pastor talking about this pastor and this pastor talking about that pastor. Oh, and this evangelist. Oh, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. No wonder why the world doesn't want to be a Christian. Now, believe me, it's no excuse. I'm not making any excuse. But what I'm talking about is this. We as Christians grow into disciples. If you are a disciple, then you're taking on the yoke of your rabbi, the yoke of your master. Turn to your neighbor and say, what yoke do you have on? See, if you read the Hall of Faith, read the Hall of Faith on your own. My father used to call it the Hall of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at the men that were in that portion of Scripture. It will blow your life away. These men, these men that were there. The Bible says, and it talks about how Abraham, he gave his wife to Pharaoh's harem. Samson got so depressed that on his wedding night was sleeping with prostitutes and caused his best friend, because his best friend stole his wife. Jephthah killed his own daughter on an altar he created himself. David committed adultery, then to cover it up, sent her husband to be murdered, then married that man's wife because he got her pregnant. Moses was a premeditated murder. Remember that? The Bible says that Moses looked left and looked right, saw no one, so I killed the man. Paul was an accomplice to murders. Peter, oh my gosh, one of my favorite men in the Bible. Peter was called Satan by Jesus. Think, I want you to. Get this in your head. Really understand this. Now, some of you are looking these men like they're high and mighty. Yes, they are. But at one time, they were low and gutterly. They were nothing. David was king when he messed up. In other words, he was a leader. And he messed up. He didn't just mess up. By messing up, he tried to mess up by covering up his mess up. And God still said, David, I'm going to use you to write a whole book. Matter of fact, write a couple of them. Matter of fact, you could sing really good. I like your songs. Many people, thousands of years later, are going to be singing songs that you wrote. Are you hearing me? The yoke of our rabbi restores people. It restores people. Doesn't look down on people. Listen to me, church. You want to grow your ministry, grow your heart. So many often times we look at people and say, man, she's all messed up. Of course she's messed up. She ain't got God. Man, he ain't got it all together. He's never going to have it all together. Never. Not supposed to. Let him who is spiritual restore gently those who have fallen. These men were written in the hall of faith. And the funny thing about it is that it doesn't record any of their mess ups. It just records their greatness. It records their greatness. God chooses not to see their sin. God chooses. Read it for yourself. Study it in the scripture. God chooses. He chose not to look at your sin. Not that you don't sin. He just chose not to. Chose not to. That's the God, that's the yoke of our rabbi. The rabbi that restores. 
See, the thing about following your rabbi, this is the thing about it. When you follow your rabbi, you want to look just like him. That's what they would do. The disciples that follow their rabbi, what they would do is they would follow right in line with their teacher. So if the teacher would walk like this, they would walk like that. If he walked like this, they would walk like that. Because they wanted to look just like their rabbi. They wanted to look just like him. Matter of fact, it's not in the scriptures, but you can study it on your own, that what they would do, what the uh, rabbi teacher would do is that in order to make sure that they walked just like him, what he would do is he would tie a rope around their neck. And he would grab the rope and he would walk to make sure that they walked just like him. And they looked just like him. Matter of fact, the Hebrew word, I believe, is amad, which means in unison or in one accord. They would look just like him. Now, as you study the scriptures, and you'll find out, and you, and you read it as well, as they look just like him, you'll see that a rabbi, if he saw a disciple that was not in line, what he would do is he would stop the line, and he would go get that one and put him back in line. Doesn't that sound just like the yoke of our rabbi? There's a shepherd with 100 sheep, and one leaves. He leaves the 99 and goes after the, that's the yoke of our rabbi. The yoke of our rabbi will go and do that. See, this is the kind of stuff that when we're following after our rabbi, we're going to look just like him. See, now just like in kindergarten, I remember when I was in kindergarten, if you were the best student of the day, you got to be in the front of the line. Remember that? If you were the student of the day, all right, Stephon, you get to come up here and you get to be the line leader. Right? You remember, I was like, that was like the greatest day of my life. When I was a line leader, I was like, yes. Mm, you know, you stick your tongue. Yeah. As you would follow your rabbi, as a disciple, what happened was you would walk behind him and the line leader would get the dust of his rabbi. And it was the dust that would come. Now, this was not the kind of dust that you wanted to wash off. This was the kind of dust in the Hebrew culture that you wanted to show off. Because if you had the dust, that means you were right behind your leader. You were right behind your teacher. So they would go back to the school and show everybody, say, hey, look at this dust. It's tight. Look at, look at, look at. That's right. Just call me Dusty. That's right. It's my rabbi. You ever seen those people when they shake someone important's hand, like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to wash this hand ever again. <laughs> look at it, look at it. I'm never going to clean this ever again. This is my rabbi's dust. Remember when Jesus said, if they do not accept you, shake the off your feet. He wasn't telling, he wasn't telling them to curse the city. He was actually telling them, bless the city. See, the yoke of our rabbi wants you to bless those who persecute you. Bless those who come against you. The dust. When he says shake the dust, shake, when you're shaking it off, in other words, bless them. Bless the people that even don't like you. Bless the ones that ain't for you. Bless the ones that even they don't want to hear you. That's okay. If they don't accept you, shake the dust and go on to the next one. See, that's the yoke of our rabbi. That's the yoke of our teacher. We're coming up with these philosophies in our world that are saying, hey, if somebody does something to you, get them back. Matter of fact, the yoke of my rabbi says, turn the other cheek. How you doing with that one? How's that one coming along? The yoke of our rabbi says, love your enemies. How you doing with that one? How you doing with that one? I posted that on Facebook the other day. I, uh, I put that. I said, love your enemies. Yeah, I said it. Love them. And one person was like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, what? What are you talking about? And I was a Christian. See, that's what I'm saying. These philosophies of the world have infiltrated the Christian culture. I don't know where it came from, but nowhere in Scripture does it say, if they do something bad to you, make sure to get them back. Matter of fact, the Bible says, if they ask you to walk one mile, walk another. What is it? Read it on your own. Bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. The yoke of our rabbi is not the yoke of this world. 
The yoke of this world is really, you know what it is? It ain't even a yoke, it's a joke. It's a joke. The yoke of our rabbi seen a woman that committed adultery. Look at this. In the book of John, a woman gets thrown at Jesus that committed adultery. Okay, matter of fact, let me rephrase that. The Bible says she was caught in the act. Okay, now just being caught in the act properly is embarrassing, but here's this woman caught in the act of adultery. They came in, got her, and threw her at the feet of Jesus. Now, the thing about it is that you're probably wondering, well, why did they throw it at Jesus? Because remember, in order to uh, persecute somebody, you had to have a rabbi with authority. That's the only way that they could do the law. They could fulfill the law. Because they couldn't do it. They didn't have authority. They had to find a rabbi with one. So here's Jesus, a rabbi with authority, getting these Pharisees, and they come and they bring her. Now, according to the Torah, actually, a woman caught in adultery first, before she was stoned, could be beaten and stripped from the waist up, according to their law. Stripped from the waist up, beaten, and then thrown, and then seen the law. Now, remember, if she was caught in the act of adultery, I don't really think they probably had to take off anything. You're caught in the act. You're caught in the act. So think about this. Listen, think about this. Here is a woman probably half naked in front of Jesus. Beaten by Pharisees. Beaten by lawmakers. Beaten by this. And then here's Jesus, right? Jesus understanding that he is a rabbi with authority, that he is the one. He's got to fulfill the law, right? That's what he's supposed to do. You're a rabbi. You've got to fulfill the law. So, Jesus understanding that, does he want to stone this woman? Of course not. No way. But does he have to fulfill the law? Yes, he does. So, Jesus, being as smart as he is, very smart man. Here's Jesus. He sees all these men with the stones. They got stones, right? They got them all. He says, that he who is without sin cast the first stone. So, there they are. They're standing there. And, oh, huh? <laughs> okay, we could stone her because the law says to stone her, and you guys caught her in the act. Nothing I could do. I can't take away that sin. She actually did that. You saw her. But, but, listen to me. This is where we change as Christians, right here. But, that he who's without sin cast the first stone. So all of a sudden, there's Jesus. After he says that, what does he do? The Bible says he starts writing, right? Nobody knows what he was writing, but probably he was like LOL. <laughs> O-M me. Everybody thinks that the internet had the first draw something. No, it was Jesus. He was doing a draw something. He was doing words with friends right there. So the Bible says that one by one, actually in order, study for yourself, they all left. They all left. So as they left, then all of a sudden Jesus goes to this woman and he asks her, Woman! Where are your condemners? Remember that? Now, he could have right away said a bunch of stuff, did a bunch of things. But right away he says, where are your condemners? Now, you got to remember, this woman was half beaten. She was probably waiting for stones to come her way. She was waiting for somebody to beat her. She was waiting for somebody to kill her. And then here's Jesus says, okay, hey, woman, where are your condemners? She looks up, and they're all gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now, you got to remember, in order to fulfill law, you have to have Two witnesses. So Jesus, being the smart man that he is, couldn't make her sin go away. He made all the condemners go away. He made them all go away. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. 
There is now therefore no more for those who are. I don't know what it is, why it is, how it is, how it even came about. But I don't know where it's come from that we as Christians get to become the condemners. We get to judge people based upon what we see. We get to judge people based upon what we I, I, Jesus probably saw the worst day in history. The worst day in history Jesus saw, and yet still he forgave them. You remember that part? He was on the cross, looks down, looks down at these guys and says, Jesus, or God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them because they don't understand what's going on. Forgive them even though they're killing me. He had the worst day in history. And here's Jesus. It's funny because the yoke of our rabbi only hears a few words from another man on a cross and says, Jesus, remember me. He goes, that'll do. That'll work for me. He didn't go to church 50 hours a week. and do it. He just said, Jesus, remember me. I'll take that. The yoke of the rabbi, I'll forgive that. I'm okay with that. But it's funny, you and I, one person does one thing against you. I ain't never talking to her ever again. Who does he think he is? See, listen, my friend, listen right here. This is where I'm coming to a close. If you are walking close to your rabbi, you're going to have the dust of your rabbi. But if you're not, you're going to be walking in the dust of your own issues. The dust of your own bitterness, the dust of your own anger, the dust of your own stuff. And what's going to happen is you're going to pass that on to those behind you. The yoke of our rabbi forgives those that were even casting lies. They were gambling. 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 In front of them. And yet he still says forgive them. He still says forgive them. The yoke of our rabbi is still even in the Old Testament. You've read it with David. Even in the Old Testament. This man got all messed up. Went and uh, had sex with the woman he shouldn't have been having sex with. So, because that woman was married. Got the man. Sent him out there. Brought Nathan to him. And still didn't want to cop to it. It wasn't until Nathan said, that man is you, David. You're the one. See, it's funny that we as Christians, we think, Repent. And then God will show kindness. No, 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 no. You are not God. God will show kindness to whoever he wants to show kindness to. It's the other way around. God shows kindness and moves us to repentance. See, I didn't come here this morning to try to give you strategies of church growth. You know what I tried to do? I tried to grow your soul. Because I figured this, if I can help you grow your soul, then your ministry will grow. Listen to me. These things that are coming into the church today that are really messing with our church members. They're messing with who we are as Christians. More than that, as disciples. Messing with us. The yoke of our rabbi forgives a woman that is caught in the act of adultery. Can your yoke do that? The yoke of our rabbi sees men that were killing him on a cross and still forgave him. Can your yoke do that? Can your yoke see a woman at a well lie to you and still go to her and forgive her? Your sins are forgiven. Can your yoke do that? See, our yoke by itself says, they hurt me, I'm going to hurt him. She hurt me, I'm going to make sure she gets what she deserves. That's my yoke. That's your yoke. But the yoke of our rabbi, listen to me very carefully, church. The yoke of our rabbi is a complete opposite of many of our philosophies today. Study it on your own. Look at it for yourself. The things that God or Jesus himself would talk about, 
Matter of fact, when he talked about hell, I shared this with my church some time ago. When Jesus talked about hell, he was always talking about giving. Read it. Jesus. All of a sudden, there's a man on a cross. Says, Jesus, remember me. All right, that guy will go to heaven. Then there's a man who looks past a beggar at a gate. Says, that guy's going to go to hell. The poor, the hurting, the helpless, that's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to reach. Some of you think that goodness and kindness is only within the four walls of the church. I'll be a good person when I walk in on a Sunday morning. I'll be a great woman when I go on a Wednesday night, on a Friday night. Then I'm going to let my light so shine. This is my friend, that's not the yoke of our rabbi. That's not that matter of fact, many of the things that you will do, they're not going to be on CNN. Many of the things that you say, they're not going to show up on YouTube. Many of the things that your teacher will teach you will not be highlighted. But that's okay. Christ is trying to make disciples. He's not trying to make people that show up on TV. We have aspirations. One day, I'm going to get on TV. Yeah, and you're going to get everything that comes with it, too. Jesus didn't say, go and make people who can promote the gospel all over the world on TV and the Internet and this and that. And making sure that everybody hears my name through you, through your mouth. No, he just said, go and make, make disciples. Some of you traveled a long way just to be here this morning. I pray that you didn't travel a long way just to appease a man. You didn't travel all this way to say, man, I'm just going to get him off my back, so that's why I'm going to come. I'm going to show up or else they're going to get on me. Listen, my friend, the yoke of our rabbi is loving. The yoke of our rabbi is generous. The yoke of our rabbi is kindness. Matter of fact, let me ask you this. When's the last time you gave to somebody that was in need that you weren't going to get anything back from? Let me ask you that. When's the last time you did that? You gave to somebody without wanting anything back. Because that's what the yoke of our, my rabbi says. Give them. They don't give you anything back. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what the day will hold. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. That's what he was talking about. Go and do just like me. That's the yoke of our rabbi. As he comes to the piano here this morning, listen, church, some of the things that Jesus did, man, they blew my life away. And as I begin to study even more, and I want to challenge you on your own, study on your own. Look at the things that Jesus did. You ever read some portions of scriptures and go, man, I don't understand that. And then you just skip right over it. Because there are some of the things that Jesus did. They just boggled your mind and you can't handle it at that moment. Go back and study the thing. It'll blow your mind away. It'll, wow. I, whoa, how'd that even, where'd that come about? Why did he say that? Some of you right now, you're in a situation. And listen to me, leaders. Now all leaders, I want you to hear me out right here. Listen to me right now. Positioned leaders. In other words, you have people under you. If you're an aspiring leader, I'm going to talk to you in a little bit. But position leaders, if you are in a position of leadership in your church, and you're continuing to do business as usual, I would question, this is just my personal opinion, I would question, are you doing the Father's business? Because you're always ragging on these people, always messing with them, always getting on them. All, look at my friend, there's a time for that. There's a time for that. Very, very small time. Jesus told his disciples a ton of parables, and he rebuked Peter a couple times. But the majority of the time, he was showing them nothing but love. Majority of the time, he was showing them nothing but kindness. Matter of fact, he wasn't just doing it to them. He was doing it in front of them. Training is hard work. 
Position leaders, what are the desks that you're giving your disciples? Are you giving them the desks of your own issues? Well, they need to be mad. Well, they don't. I'm tell you right now, they're never going to have it all together. You want to know how I know that? Because you never had it all together. Love people to life, not death. Now, aspiring leaders. And you want to be a leader. You say, man, I, 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 I want to be that. The Bible says that's good. I'm glad you aspire a noble thing. It's a noble thing to aspire leadership. But as you come up in leadership, don't step on people. It'll get you nowhere. Hear me. It might get you a position, temporary, temp position, because you're talented, you're gifted. Good, man, look at, she could sing, he could preach, he could dance, he could do this, he could, oh man, he's, he could talk real well. That's great. But what authority are you talking under? Whose authority do you have? You don't have to step on people to get to the call of where God has called you to be. The yoke of our rabbi, you know what he did? He saw a man in a tree. He left everybody. And he said, hey, you, get down here. I got to go to your house. And then the man was like, oh, my, wait, whoa, you want to come to my house? Matter of fact, okay, if I've done any wrong to anybody, I give back four times the amount. You remember that? Zacchaeus. I'll give you, oh, man, here. And then what did Jesus say? Today, salvation has come to your house. Just like that. Just like that. See, some of you as leaders, you're looking for this big old drama. I want them to repent before me. I want them to grovel at my feet and show that they were mistaken. You know what Jesus did? Jesus was talking. There was no room in the house. So four guys, they went up, cut a hole in the roof, put him down. You know what Jesus did? Jesus looked at their faith and healed that man. Read it for yourself. He saw their faith. He didn't even look at this guy's paralytic. He saw theirs. Hey, hey, you four? You guys got great faith. Okay, you're healed. A centurion comes to Jesus, says, hey, I'm a man of authority. I know, I know what it takes of what you're doing. So all I ask is that you say the word. Jesus wasn't even in the vicinity and says, okay, you're healed. Just like that. Many a times, okay, we're waiting for church. Oh, let there be a big old smoke and, and mirrors and this and that. Oh, then there's going to be healing. No. Jesus said, faith like this I've never seen like in all of Israel. That's great faith. You're healed. Leaders, we're looking for this big old spectacle of it has to be like this. And Jesus says, no, it's good faith. I like that. You're healed. I like that faith. All right, salvation to your house. It's not this big old 20-page, 30-page, 100-page essay of how miracles are going to happen. It's simple. It's easy. The yoke of our rabbi is light. It's easy. There's no burden to it. You don't have to do all this elaborate stuff. Say, God love me. God loves you no matter what. He loves you no matter what. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do to earn God's love. Church, hear me out. I believe that we're going to see one of the greatest revivals. I was listening to a preacher. He's talking about, man, there's an end time revival talking, coming. And I really believe that wholeheartedly. You know why? It's because many of the Christians are getting away from the doctrine of Jesus Christ. You heard me right. I said Christians. Christians. So I believe. This is what I believe. And study it on your own. History. Not even Bible history. History itself will tell you how revival happens. You know how revival happens? It's because all of a sudden, the people of God were getting away from the things of God. And finally, God says, no, I'm going to raise up a people 
I'm tired of this. There's going to be a revival that happens. Listen to me, Victory Outreach. I believe that we are a part of that end time harvest. I believe that we are a part of that end time rival. I believe that we have men and women that are ready to be called disciples of Jesus Christ. That God is going to use you. You were disqualified, but God said, I am going to use you. At one time you were unclean, but God says, I'm going to use you. Lift your hands with me here this morning. God wants to qualify. You're qualified. You're qualified. You're qualified. I know you were doing some unclean things, but God qualified you. He qualified you. He qualified you. Some of you are going to start shaking the dust off, not the dust of your hatred, not the dust of your bitterness, not the dust of your anger. You're going to start blessing people. People are going to start getting healed in your Bible studies. People are going to start getting healed at your meetings. People are going to start getting healed when they're around you at the store. People are going to start getting healed when they're around you. Why? Because the faith, the faith, the yoke of your teacher saying, God, I just want to do what you want me to do. I want to go where you call me to go. God, that's me. Listen, if that's you here this morning, as they do this song, I want you to slip out of your seat right now. I want you to come to this altar and say, God, I want to be that disciple. I want to be that man. I want to be that woman that you called me to so be. Give us clean oh, come on, slip out of give your seat from all over this place. Heart. And fill this altar Let with men and women.